Well, Grace and Peace Church, it is certainly strange to be sitting here uh, without all of you. Um, the church, by definition, is a gathered people. Uh, so oftentimes we're inclined to think of the church as something that happens on Sunday mornings. Some of us can sometimes think of the church as a nonprofit business. Others perhaps think about or talk about the church as a building. And these are often ideas that are sort of evident in our language and the ways that we talk about church. I'm going to church. How's the church going? Where is your church? Uh, and it is true that we have regular worship gatherings, and it's true that there are business elements to our communal organizing. Uh, there are budgets, and we do have boards, and we do gather in a specific place to do these things. But the church always has been and will always be the people who uh, form and gather in community under the lordship of Jesus. And because that's lacking, there's no gathering. It's just me sitting in this sanctuary. It feels odd and weird to be here. And it is weird and odd to be here without all of you. And our hope in these weeks in which we're self-sequestering ourselves is that we as a church would perhaps begin to think creatively about what it means to be gathered people under such circumstances. Uh, what does it mean for us to gather together in prayer in these days? What does it mean for us to gather in service to our neighbors and to our family and to those who are part of our church body. And so we're going to be live streaming some of our worship services starting next Sunday, and we will be communicating all the different ways in which we're going to be functioning and doing our best to creatively think about what it means for us to be the church while we cannot gather. Uh, but what feels almost like an eternity ago, uh, weeks ago, we ushered in the Lenten season uh, at an Ash Wednesday service. And as part of our gathering that evening, I imposed ashes on your foreheads and uttered these words, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. The ritual in itself is a very odd thing. I in fact felt odd putting ashes on people's foreheads and saying this almost chanting, mesmerizing sort of phrase over each of you, the phrase sounds strange, and the ritual seems strange, and part of the reason that that service uh, we participated in, that activity happens each and every year, is to remind us that we are vulnerable people, that life is very fragile, and the notion that we would gather to remind ourselves of our vulnerability and the fragility of life that death and loss and suffering are part of life is a very strange, odd thing for us to do. But what seems so strange just three weeks ago doesn't seem so strange today. Today there is an increasing societal awareness that we are dust and to dust we shall return. And the feeling that this reality is so close in proximity to us is tremendously disorienting for us and for our way of life. Because most of us don't sit around and think about, man, yeah, life is vulnerable and fragile. But the world right now in this moment is directly grappling with the nearness of death. At least it feels a lot closer than it usually does. 
It's disrupting our economy. It's disrupting our way of life. It's disrupting our relationships. It's disrupting our families. It's disrupting our church. It's disrupting our jobs. And we, along with all of you, are in a world, with the world, disoriented. And the question that sort of is posed to us in this particular moment as a church and in the world is, what does it mean and what does it look like to be people who live in the midst of disorientation? What does it mean for us that amidst this global disorientation for us to be the people of God? And I want to spend just a few moments with you this morning talking about what does it look like for us to be the church? What does it look like for us to be people who live in the midst of a disoriented world? And I want to suggest two things right off the top is that first, we need to be a people who speak and pray honestly. And second, we need to make individual difficulties communal responsibilities. Let's jump into each one of these uh, for a moment. First, to speak and pray honestly. During these weeks and months, I want to direct and lead and call our church to pay attention to the Psalms in such a time as this. Famed Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann describes the Psalms as fitting into one of three categories, orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. Psalms of orientation describe faith in a settled and serene world. Those psalms and the language that comes to us in those psalms are the words that we speak and the words that we pray when everything feels like it ought to be. The world is supposed to be this way and this is what it looks like to speak and to pray in that kind of world. Psalms of disorientation describe faith in an unsettled and disordered season of life where the world that we're experiencing is not the way that it's supposed to be. And the Psalms of new orientation describe faith in a world in which grace has entered and transformed what was disoriented into something new altogether. These are the words and the prayers that we speak when we didn't realize that life could be this way. And in these weeks and in the coming months, in this global moment, we find ourselves in a space of disorientation. The world isn't supposed to be like this. Kids shouldn't be cooped up in their homes. Students shouldn't be foregoing their senior years and their, their prom dances and that final athletic season that they were looking forward to. They shouldn't have to forego walking at their graduation ceremony to hear their name called as they cross the stage. We, as a society, shouldn't be feeling financial strain in this way. We shouldn't be seeing and identifying empty shelves in our grocery stores. We shouldn't be afraid to see our friends and our neighbors. We shouldn't be wondering if preparing meals for those who are in need was going to harm them rather than do good for them. As Paige and I march closer toward her due date, the concerns about Levi's health and our daughter's health is magnifying our disorientation in the world. We shouldn't have to be thinking the thoughts that we're thinking. We shouldn't have to be considering the concerns that we are considering. You see, the Psalms of disorientation 
Give us the words to speak to one another and to God in moments like these, when the world isn't how it's supposed to be. Consider these words out of Psalm 137. Alongside Babylon's streams, there we sat down, crying because we remembered Zion. We hung our lyres up in the trees there because that's where our captors asked us to sing. Our tormentors requested songs of joy. Sing us a song about Zion, they said. But how could we possibly sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? Jerusalem, if I forget you, let my strong hand wither. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. The psalmist in this moment is lamenting the the destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place of worship for God's people, but it wasn't just the central place of worship for them. It was the center of their way of life as a people, and it had been destroyed. It had been ruined. The psalmist, honestly, in this prayer and in this moment, presents their grief, presents their sadness, presents their despair, honestly, before God. In fact, if we continue to read this psalm, we'd discover the psalmist sort of honestly and nakedly sharing their rage, their outrage, their anger about the circumstance that they find themselves in. But the key is this. In Psalm 137, the psalmist feels permission to speak and pray honestly about what's going on. In the midst of disorientation, we as the people of God need to feel empowered We need to feel permission to speak and pray honestly about what's going on. You see, we live in a society that glosses over pain and suffering and death and tragedy and trauma and fear. We live in a society that doesn't sit comfortably in the disorientation that life often brings to us. Glass half-empty people, they are pessimists after all. And so our inclination in the moments of disorientation, in the moments of tragedy and suffering and death, when things aren't supposed to be the way that they are, is to try and offer a word of hope which allows us to speed past the real emotions that we're feeling, that our neighbors are feeling and experiencing, to try and ignore the realities that we're in a moment of disorientation. It'll be okay. God's got this. This isn't a big deal. Don't you have faith? But I want to suggest to us as a church and to you this morning that the way we affirm these truths about God that we want to cling on to, that God is in control and is sovereign, that we do have hope in the midst of brokenness and suffering, it is not by ignoring the pain and tragedy and difficulty of the moment. In fact, we affirm these truths about God by first naming our pain and difficulty and suffering and trauma and loss. And it's in naming these things that we actually invite God to be present in the midst of all that is going on. You see, refusing to name our disorientation Okay, we'll try it again. 
Refusing to name our disorientation is a refusal to believe that God has anything to do with it. But we know that God wants to enter into our brokenness, into these disorienting realities that we are experiencing. We know this because Jesus enters into the world and bears the cross. Jesus takes on pain. Jesus takes on suffering. Jesus takes on trauma and tragedy and death itself. And we know that we worship and follow this kind of God. But we have to invite him into these spaces and places if he's ever going to meet us in the midst of them. And so the question to us this morning is how do we as a church need to speak honestly How do we need to pray honestly? Some of our students are feeling the loss of their senior year in high school. Some of them are feeling a sense of loss and grief over their final season as an athlete. Some are feeling anxious because this is another traumatic experience after the Thomas fires. Can you let them speak and pray honestly with you? Can they honestly speak and pray their frustrations and their hurts and their difficulties without somebody telling them, well, it's not that big of a deal? Some of us are feeling fear because lack of healthcare coverage. Some of us are feeling legitimate concern for our lives because we are part of the vulnerable populations that we hear reported every day in the news. Some of us are feeling anxiety because of uncertain financial realities. Some of us are feeling troubled because it seems like tragedy is the new normal in our world. Some of us are feeling guilty because we don't want to spend another hour with our kids in our houses. Some of us are feeling overwhelmed at the prospect of bringing a new child into this world amidst the chaos. These feelings and these thoughts, they're not demonstrations of a lack of faith. They're actually just the way that life actually is. And the Psalms come to us in the midst of disorientation into these real life moments and give us permission to speak and to pray honestly about our emotions and about our experiences. I remember many years ago when I was a new youth pastor, I was invited uh, to a gathering of prominent youth pastors in our denomination to just sort of think and share some of our experiences and thoughts about the current state of youth ministry in the world. And there was one session in which the facilitator asked all who were in the room to, to name their burdens that they were experiencing in ministry, to name the situations they were dealing with that felt heavy, or perhaps to name those things that, that they were hurt by because of things going on in the church. But just name them. Just state them out loud. And I remember, I'll never forget this moment, the, the response to the prompt in that moment was nothing but pure silence. It was five long minutes of silence. And it, it was a weightiness of the burdens that were shared in that room that caused the silence, it, it almost felt like in the moment just palpable, that people felt weighed down, like life was just beating them up. 
And after five minutes, there was a pastor that spoke up and he said these words, and I'll never forget this. He said, the silence holds everything we want to say, but are having a very difficult time naming. For some of you, perhaps, to speak and pray honestly won't be in naming or talking or praying. It'll simply be sitting in silence and becoming aware of all that's going inside of you. But church, we need to be a people who speak and pray honestly about our circumstances and our situation, even if it is in silence. But the second thing I I want to invite us to consider as a church in these days is to make difficulties communal responsibilities, to make individual difficulties communal responsibilities. In his book, Five Smooth Stones for Pastoral Work, Eugene Peterson writes these words. The biblical way to deal with suffering is to transform what is individual into something corporate. Response to suffering is a function of the congregation. That is to say, when one of us has a problem, we all have a problem. This is why it's so important for us as a church to be able to speak and pray honestly with one another. Because it's in our speaking and our praying honestly before God and with our community that our difficulties and the challenges that we have sort of position our church to help take responsibility for the community of faith. One of the encouraging things that I've been able to witness and experience in just these couple of weeks um, is how many of you as a church, in our church, are willing to jump in to care for people Uh, to offer, I don't know how many emails or calls or text messages I've gotten from people just asking, who can I grocery shop for? Who can I prep a meal for? Who needs to be visited? Who, Who needs assistance of any kind? I want to be a resource to my church. Who needs toilet paper? The rarest of all commodities you're willing to forego and give to one another. It is sort of overwhelmingly revelatory of our character as a church, that we want to be a people who make individual difficulties, communal responsibilities. And my encouragement to you in these days isn't merely to be willing to step up. My encouragement to you is to be proactive in making other people's difficulties your own responsibilities. That is, call and text people and listen to identify their needs and challenges Don't wait to hear a plea for help, but seek out opportunities to love and care for one another. I heard a story of young adults who printed up brochures offering to do grocery shopping and meal prep, and they went around to all of the homes in their neighborhood and just dropped one of those brochures off at every single house. I had a person in our own church actually call me just yesterday not just offering help if it was needed, but almost demanding who are the people that need to be called? Who are the people that need to be visited? I want to be proactive in this effort. See, one of the things that we have to recognize as a church is that people are going to resist asking for assistance and for help. But we all need a little bit of help right now. 
And my invitation and call to us as a church is to make individual difficulties our communal responsibilities. You see, identifying these needs and taking responsibility to care for those in our church is the love of neighbor that we are called to embody in the world. And so these two things I invite you into, church. Speak and pray honestly. Make individual difficulties our communal responsibility. These days and weeks of disorientation will be uncomfortable and hard and difficult and strange and frustrating. It'll test our patience and stressful. Don't feel a need to downplay these realities in your own life. These days and weeks of disorientation will require and demand more of you and of us as a church. But God will sustain us. You see, what drives us in the midst of disorientation to be a people of hope isn't that it will end one day. What drives us to hope is that we serve and follow a God who enters into the chaos of our world and cares for us in the middle of it. Hear these words, church, from Lamentations. God's mercy is surely not at an end, nor is his pity exhausted. It is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. God is my portion, I tell myself, therefore I will hope. God's grace and God's mercy, God's faithfulness will lead us one day into a new orientation, but we praise him and we worship him because he is a God who even in the midst of our disorientation is present with us. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you are the kind of God that you are. We're grateful that you invite us to speak honestly, to pray honestly before you about the stresses and pains and sufferings and fears that we hold as people. We're grateful that you're God who's great enough and big enough and sovereign enough to deal with them. And so we ask, God, that somehow in the midst of this disorientation that you would allow us and shape us and mold us and form us to be a people who can enter into the broken situations and difficulties that our neighbors are experiencing and be your loving presence. As Jesus, as our model, the one who enters into brokenness for the sake of love, we too want to enter the brokenness of the world these days and weeks and offer love. God, we trust you to sustain us. And we are confident that you are with us. And it's in your son Jesus' name who reveals all of these truths to us that we pray. Amen.